Okay, good evening everybody and welcome to church. Uh, my name is Mike, I'm the senior minister uh, here at the church. I'm looking forward to sharing with you from God's word tonight. Uh, but before I do, a couple of uh, things. We're going to pray in a moment and it's good to pray because we're talking about money uh, tonight and I'm using this microphone. I have no idea whether it's going to keep working or not, so that's good to pray about. And also, after the sermon tonight, we're going to have uh, something a bit different in our gathering this evening. We're going to have a, a question and answer time. So feel free during the talk to write down any comments or questions and we'll have that sharing time uh, after the message tonight. But let's pray. Our Father, as we approach this somewhat personal, challenging and hard topic tonight, the way that we think about our money and how we can use it to honour you and to help others, we pray that you give us ears to hear your word. And please open our hearts, give us humility to receive your word as your word. And please inspire us, inspire us by your grace that we might be the generous people that you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was six years old and it was a beautiful winter Saturday morning, a great morning for football or, or soccer if you prefer the colloquial language and the ball came to me and I was a little shell-shocked but I knew exactly what to do. I, as my son Jonah would say, skilled the opposition and I dribbled through them all and the crowd was going wild, parents were jumping up and down, my coach was screaming at me, it was great and then I pulled up just outside the goal box and I picked my spot at the left corner down low so that the goalie couldn't get there and then with a perfect laces kick, I sent the ball sailing into the back of the net. Goal! I was so excited and then I turned around and I'm like, where's the rest of my team? There's, there's nobody here. And then I looked at the sideline and the parents who were jumping up and down and the coach who was screaming at me just had their hands in their head in utter disbelief because you know what had happened. I scored in my own goal. I scored in my own goal. I didn't know it, but I was weakening the team from the inside. Now, we all know different organisations that can weaken themselves from the inside, either by just sheer ignorance or worse malice, whether it's a sporting team or a political party, families, it can happen as well, and also in churches. And we could make a list, I guess, tonight of all the different things that a church can do to weaken itself from the inside. We're not, but if you want to talk to me about it afterwards, you can. But I think if there is one thing or two things that can seriously weaken a church from the inside over and above nearly everything else, it would be selfishness and greed. You might remember that the Apostle Paul in another letter says that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And maybe you have seen that played out in our world the insatiable greed for more, the, the lust for money and the complications and dysfunctions that often leaves individuals and families and even churches as well. But the opposite is also true, isn't it? Because Jesus specifically said that the world can know that we are his disciples by our what? Our love for one another. And what better way to show our love for one another and also the people in our community than by being open-handed with our money or our possessions or anything that we have for the love and good of other people. Now, when it comes to the topic of giving or generosity, I think for most of us the problem is not information. 
the problem is inspiration. I have a working assumption that when I'm talking to Christians, the Christians know they ought to love their neighbour as themselves. They know they ought to be open-handed uh, and, and generous. You don't need to be told that. But we also find it so hard, don't we? We need inspiration because sometimes we just get forgetful. Sometimes we get so focused on our financial stress or anxiety, the situation that we're in. Sometimes we're just plain lazy, aren't we? And we prefer to invest in ourselves or our family rather than the things that will last for eternity. We need inspiration. So what will inspire us tonight to be the generous people that God has for us? Well, I think there are often two common ways that people, particularly Christians, are motivated uh, to give. One is to what I call give by guilt. You hear a talk from the church treasurer or the minister who's talking about money. And you're like, okay, here we go again. And if you heard this cliche, the church always talks about money. All they care about is money. And here we go, the minister's talking about money uh, again. Well, can I say, we don't always talk about money. In fact, I hate talking about money. I'm happy to do it, but I don't really enjoy doing it. And in fact, we're right in the middle of a series in 2 Corinthians. And we just happen to be up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, where the topic is about Christian generosity and I would be disobedient to the Word of God if I didn't address it when it comes up. But anyway, you hear a talk like tonight's talk on giving and generosity, and you're like, yeah, I'm probably not as generous as I could be and when the bag comes around later in the church, you're like, you feel guilty and you'll put whatever change you've got in your wallet into the bags and hopefully it makes yourself feel a little bit better, give by guilt. The second motivation that often people use for giving is to give by get. You give in order to get something in return. It might be uh, a better reputation, that you're known in the church or the community as the most generous Christian on planet Earth. And that might be a bit extreme, but there is a, a sense in which you hope to get something back in return. Maybe it's just a, a, a blessing from God. You know, maybe you don't think that God's going to give you a Ferrari if you give 10 bucks to him tonight. But you do hope that by investing something in the kingdom of God, that he might be more attuned to your prayers or just be more involved in your life in some way, shape or form. Now, giving out of guilt or giving to get is better than not giving at all, but please don't fool yourself into thinking that you're being generous because the focus if you're giving out of guilt or you're giving to get is who? You. You're giving in order to make yourself feel better, guilt, or you're giving in order to get something for yourself. The focus is on you and not on God or other people. And my experience personally and what I've seen in other people is if that you're giving only out of guilt or if you're giving to get something in return, you'll only ever give the minimum. You'll only ever give the minimum to make yourself feel better uh, or to get something in return. But there's a third motivation which I think is far superior and is what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 present for us tonight. And that is give by grace. Give out of grace. Now, the context to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is really important for us to understand. For some time, Paul has been travelling around uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and Macedonia, northern Greece, and Achaia, southern Greece. And he's been encouraging the Gentile churches to be open-handed with their money, to be generous, to pull together some money so that Paul and the other apostles can take the money to Jerusalem, not to build some ancient St. Peter's Basilica in Jerusalem or anything like that, 
but to support the brothers and sisters in Christ who are in great need in Jerusalem. A famine had been sweeping across Palestine at this time and there was great poverty, particularly amongst the Christians. And Paul wanted those who had means and been blessed by God in that sense in Europe to support their brothers and sisters who were in great need. Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 10, that the Corinthians, when Paul first raised this issue with them 12 months ago, a year ago, they had a great desire to share in this particular ministry. But Paul reminds them they haven't completed the task. There are still some things to do. And as we know from the end of chapter 7, the Corinthians uh, have started to warm up to Paul again. The relationship has started to improve. And I think Paul takes that renewed confidence in the Corinthians to press them on this particular issue. Guys, it's time to complete what you said that you were going to do. But he doesn't want to guilt the Corinthians into giving. In fact, did you notice in chapter 9, verse 5, he says that he wants them to be ready to give as a gift, not as an extortion. He doesn't want to seem to be ripping them off or stealing from them or manipulating them to give. He wants them to freely give. And what motivation does he use? Well, have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. This is what Paul uses to motivate the Corinthians, the grace of God. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And if this is your first time at church tonight and you're hearing a message on money, well done for being here, thank you for being here, over and above anything else you hear tonight, I want you to remember this verse. This is the most important thing for you if you're brand new to church, even if you're just visiting uh, tonight as well. This is the important thing to remember, that Jesus loves you so much that he was prepared to leave behind the riches of heaven and enter into our world and live a poor man's life and more than that, to suffer and die a shameful death on a cross so that you and me who are spiritually poor can become friends with God and know the eternal joy and riches of heaven. If you're new to church tonight, remember that over and above everything else. Mostly what I'm talking about tonight is directed to our church members to be open-handed with their possessions and their money out of love for their neighbour. But I'm also convinced that that grace of Christ, if we understand it, it also is a far superior motivation to our giving. How so? Well, when you understand that everything you have, Christian, is a gift from God and that you don't need to do anything uh, for God to be reconciled, to him, he's done it all for you already, then you are free to truly love others for their sake. You don't need to love them to make yourself feel better. Jesus has removed all of your guilt. You don't need to love others hoping that they might love you back. You don't need to do that because you already have everything that ultimately and eternally matters in Christ. So you can hold loosely to the things of this world and use them to love and help other people knowing that you already have everything that ultimately matters in Christ. And when you have that vision, it can lead to extravagant generosity. And that's what we see in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So I want to go through six points tonight where we see grace giving in action and I hope that this is an encouragement uh, to you. Now the, the, I guess the primary application of chapters 8 and 9 is for wealthy churches 
to support poorer churches, the churches in Greece and Macedonia, to support the struggling church uh, in Jerusalem. But remember, churches are made up of individual Christians. They're not just this nebulous organisation. Every church is made up of individual Christians. So the principles that we see here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, yes, primarily it's talking about one church supporting another church, but the same principles apply to Christians individually and what motivates and inspires and how they give personally uh, as well. The first principle is this, that grace-giving is generous. Grace-giving is generous. Look at the example of the Macedonians that Paul says in chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches in Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own and according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave. Paul encourages the Corinthians to remember the Macedonian example. He's not using them as an example to make them feel bad, but to inspire them. Why? Because they have embraced the grace of God. And even though they are not materially rich, Paul says they're struggling as well. And so they gave up to their own ability, but Paul says they were prepared to go over and above their ability. They wanted to be generous. Why? Because they knew what they already had in Christ and the joy that that brought them. And if their small possessions could bring some kind of eternal joy to somebody else, they were willing to part with it. They were generous. I think so often what limits our giving, unlike the Macedonians, is that we can't see beyond the financial stress and worries and situations that we are in. The mortgage, the bills, the school fees, whatever it might be, all looms so large in our mind that we can't see uh, beyond it. But unlike the Macedonians, what I think often causes our financial stress and pain is not poverty, like the Macedonians, although for many in our area of Western Sydney, that is an actual reality. And if that's you tonight, then please know that you are welcome here and you are loved and respected but for most of us the problem when it comes to our financial pain is not poverty but that we want a standard of living that matches what we see on the lifestyle tv shows which is often way beyond our income and so we want to upgrade the house we want to upgrade the car we want to upgrade the mobile phone or whatever it might be and then we feel the stress that we're overdone and then I, I can't give anymore because I don't have anything to give. Does that make sense? But that wasn't the Macedonians. Now, it's not wrong to want to have nice things, of course, but it's wrong to want to want nice things, to, you know, thirst after them at all costs. You know, put aside your neighbour, put aside your family, whatever it might be, so you can have whatever you need to have. Now, I'm often asked by Christians how much should I give to be generous? And that's a really hard question to answer. And in fact, I try and avoid answering that question by giving a certain amount. Because if I give a certain amount to somebody, this is what it means for you to be generous, to give X dollars. Do you know what the temptation of that person will be? They will give that certain amount, assume that they're being generous, and not give any more. Because they've They've done what they needed to do. They're generous. Pat themselves on the back, make them feel better, and they're generous. But generosity never has a limit, does it? 
You know, Jesus was willing to give up his entire life for the world. But there are some principles that we can learn from the Scriptures, aren't there, when it comes to our generosity? In the Old Testament, you remember what God's people commanded to give for the work of the temple and the work of the Lord? They were called to tithe, to give 10% of their income uh, to the work of the Lord. Now, of course, in the New Testament, the tithe is not bound to Christians. The only requirement in the New Testament for followers of Jesus is that they are generous. But remember, generosity has no limit. And so I think a good starting point, if you're thinking about what does it mean for me to be generous, start with 10% of your income. But don't let that be your limit. As God gives you means and abilities, always think about going beyond that. And I think for most of us who are working and earning a decent income, and I know that's not all of us, some of you are at uni, some of you are on a fixed income, some of you, I don't know if there's any age pensioners here, but there might be. I know every person's in a different situation, but for those of us who are earning a decent income, if we can't live off 90% of our income, we're probably struggling to live off 100%. And that means that we've got deeper issues that we need to work through. And I'm happy to help you with that. There are financial counsellors that I know that I can put you in touch with uh, as well. But grace giving is generous. That's point one. The next five are really quick. Okay. Secondly, Grace giving is joyful. Have a look at verse 4 again of 2 Corinthians 8. This is the Macedonians again. They begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry uh, to the saints. The Macedonians begged Paul to give. Now, you don't often see that today. Uh, I preached this message twice already today and after the two morning services, nobody came up to me saying, Mike, I want to give for church more money. Can you take it? Now, I can't take it anyway, but nobody's come up to me and does that. That's just not an ordinary thing for us to see or experience. But the Macedonians begged Paul insistently for the privilege to give and to give more. Why? Because they had the joy of the Lord. They had the joy of the Lord and they wanted to see their little money, whatever it was, to bring joy uh, to others. And Paul wants the Corinthians to capture that joy. Do you know in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, the favourite memory verse of everybody when it comes to giving? Joy is right at the heart. Chapter 9, verse 7, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a what giver? A cheerful giver. Everyone remembers that verse. And, it, and it's right and it's true. God does love a cheerful giver. We want to be so captured by the joy of the Lord that we can't help but want to see other people come to experience that same joy. Uh, as well and not many people realize it but giving your money away out of the gospel and for the gospel is the most fun you can have with money you never regret when you give money out of the gospel and to promote the gospel you regret money that you spend on the Macca's run after church of course we regret that don't we but you never regret giving money away out of the gospel and for the gospel because the Holy Spirit is working on your heart in that moment bringing you joy in serving the Lord. Grace giving is joyful. Thirdly, is that what we're up to? Yep. Grace giving is sensible. Sensible. Have a look at verse 12 and 13 of chapter 8. Verse 12. If the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. Paul wants the 
Corinthians to be generous, yes, but notice he doesn't want them to give in such a way that will make them destitute. He says, give out of what you have, not what you don't have. And I think that's a good principle for us to remember. Uh, The pastoral team and the wardens and church treasury here never encourage people to go into debt to support ministry and mission. In fact, we say we would prefer it if you didn't give on your credit card because it just opens up an unwise situation where um, if things go out of hand that you uh, can be over your head. We do encourage people to get out of debt quickly so that they can be more generous. So do that. That's absolutely fine. And as a church... Uh, as an organisation, we do desire to support ministries beyond our walls and, and of course we do. We have a partnership with the Indigenous Church in Tregear. We support Compassion and CMS and other things as well. AFES, we heard that last week. Now, as a church as a whole, we don't have the same surplus that the Macedonian Church has had, so we can't be overly generous in what we give out externally to other churches. But imagine if we could. We we need to be sensible. Fourthly, grace giving is purposeful. Have a look at verse 14 and 15. Purposeful. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so their abundance may also become available for our need, so there may be equality. As it has been written, the person who gathered much did not have too much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little. Paul wants the Corinthians to see the purpose behind their giving. He says it's about equality. It's about meeting the needs of your Christian brothers and sisters who are in need. Now, I don't think Paul is promoting an early version of economic communism. You know, communism is about forced taxation by the government to support those in need. He's pleading with the Corinthians to freely give of their own accord to support those in need. It's it's purposeful. And at the end of chapter 9... He talks about other purposes, you know, that their gift might overflow in thanksgiving to God and that God might be glorified in their generosity. But grace giving is purposeful. It's not random. It's not ad hoc. It's purposeful. It responds to real needs. And that's the case for our church as well. I know that this particular part of God's word is talking about blessing other churches, but we as a church have real needs and your giving goes to support and help those real needs we have staff wages to pay we have lights and electricity uh, bills that need to be paid we have property maintenance things that need to be uh, addressed we have ministries that need to be funded but please know that every dollar that you give to support this church is purposeful it goes to something good and honoring of God and I'd love to see that expanded so that we could bless other churches and ministries as well but grace giving is purposeful and fifthly grace giving is transparent that is it's clear Uh, have a look at verse 16 thanks be to god who put the same concern for you into the heart of titus for he accepted our urging and being very diligent went out to you by his own choice we have sent him with the brother now we don't know who that is another christian man apostle who is praised throughout the churches for his gospel ministry And not only that, but he was also appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gift, that is the money that's being collected from the churches, that is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We are taking this precaution so no one can criticise us about this large sum administered by us, for we are making provision for what is right, not only before the Lord, 
but also before men. Paul wants the Corinthians to understand that in their giving, whatever money they give is going to be handled well. There's transparency. There are processes in place to protect both the money as it's transported from the you know, European churches to Jerusalem, and it's also going to be handled by trustworthy and reliable men, Paul says, people who have been tested and proven to not be money launderers or swindlers or thieves, but are going to look after the money. It's all transparent, I think, to inspire the Corinthians that they can be generous, knowing that their money is going to be used well. And we as a church take transparency in giving really significantly as well. Any cash that's collected here at church on a Sunday is counted by two trustworthy people. It's banked again by a trustworthy person. We pay a bookkeeper to do our books so that nobody can question the legitimacy of our accounts. Every parish council meeting when we meet together as a governance board, uh, we have detailed financial reports to see how things are going and we make those available to any member of our church. In fact, in our e-news, we share summaries of those each and every month as well. And the desire to be transparent, I think, is important when it comes to giving because the more transparent we are about the money, the more confidence you can have, which will then lead to generosity, I believe. And lastly, grace giving is deliberate. Deliberate. Have a look at that memory verse, chapter 9, verse 7 again. And notice the word decided. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know that giving to ministry or mission doesn't need to be spontaneous to be spiritual? You can plan it. You can make a decision in your heart about what you're going to do before the event. Something doesn't need to be spontaneous to be spiritual. Paul wants the Corinthians to be deliberate to plan, to budget even, how much and how often they are going to be giving. And we want that to be the case for you as well. In fact, inside your service sheet tonight, I've given you a giving guide from Minchinbury Anglican Church so that you can be deliberate and plan and see how your giving is used to support this church and the ministries around our community and world that we support uh, as well. And we live in an age where we can have all so many tools to help us to be deliberate and planned in our giving. There are so many budget tools that we can use and we live in the age of electronic banking as well so that you can plan your giving and you can set it up regularly so it just happens. You know, you don't even need to be at church to support the church. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to be at church. You do need to be at church. But as you set up giving, it's not reliant on you remembering how much money to bring. It just happens because you've planned it and you've thought about it and you've set it up. And doing it that way also saves you from the temptation when you hear a message like this just to give out of guilt whatever you've got in your wallet. And I know many of our church members give electronically. Now, when the bags come around tonight, if that is you, I want you to feel no pressure to put any extra in. You're welcome to, but feel no pressure to do that because you are already giving so generously and sacrificially to the life uh, of our church and the ministries that we run. Grace giving is six things, generous, joyful, sensible, purposeful, transparent, and deliberate. That's what it looks like. And when you're inspired by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving up the treasures of heaven so that you could have them, you have every motivation to put that into practice. Now, as I finish, I want to say two things. Firstly, I want to say thanks. 
Often when a church pastor or treasurer gets up on the stage and talks about money, they forget to say thank you uh, to their members for their sacrificial giving and support of ministry. And I don't want to take that for granted tonight, so I want to say thank you uh, for your generosity. But I also, secondly, want to encourage everybody, whether they're new to church or have been a long-time member, to take one extra step in terms of grace giving, starting tonight and then going into the future. Maybe you're relatively new to the Christian faith and your next step might be just stepping in and making a start, however small that might be initially. But just stepping in and making a start could begin a journey of extravagant generosity uh, for you. And I believe you'll discover great joy in that as well. Now, for those of you who are parents, I want to encourage you to talk about this kind of stuff with your kids. Encourage them to step in and make a start in terms of generosity. I don't know if your kids are like mine, but sometimes their temptation is to think that all their stuff is theirs and they must guard it and protect it. You know, it's like hot chips. You know, you've got to demarcate which is yours and the brothers and sisters and anybody else cannot touch them. And it can overflow into other areas too, can't it? Who gets control of the Nintendo Switch? Who's got control of the TV remote? Whatever it might be. Encourage your kids to hold loosely to their things. They're not their things, are they? They've been given to them as a gift. Encourage them to see that and to hold loosely to that and to use it to help others and to glorify the Lord. But maybe you're needing to take the next step. Maybe you have been giving reasonably frequent at church or maybe it's been a little ad hoc. Maybe your next step in is to commit to giving regularly towards that 10% goal. Maybe that's your next step uh, tonight. Set up that e-giving regular transfer. Or the third component might be your next step, is to take that step and commit to actually giving 10% uh, of your income. And yes, you might need to rearrange some things to, to do that, get some financial help, some counselling and advice. But remember, if you're struggling to live off 90% of your income, if you're earning a good income, then you're probably going to struggle to live off 100% anyway. Uh, so maybe that's your next step, is to work towards giving 10% every week, every month, whatever it might be and trust God uh, that he will provide for you. But maybe you could be prepared to take the next step. You know, you've realised that God has blessed you with incredible income and assets, and so now you can have some fun. You can, this is a cliche, but I love it. You can put the fun in gospel funding. You know, say that I can put some fun into gospel funding. You can. If God has blessed you in that way, you can really have some fun. You know, just imagine what could be possible because of your generosity. New churches established in Western Sydney overseas, struggling churches financially supported. You know, missionaries being funded from our generosity. Bibles and resources being able to be distributed to thirsty people uh, who need to drink from the living water of God's word. The limitations are only there by your imagination. But if you have means, you can have some fun uh, in your ministry in this way. Being tight-fisted with our money or our possessions really is an own goal for a Christian and for a church. But if you are open-handed with the things that God has blessed you with, you can just imagine the possibilities. And when you're inspired, not by guilt, not by get, 
but by grace. You have every fuel that you need to keep being generous for God's glory and the good of his people. Let's pray. Father, open our hands afresh tonight for your glory and the good of your people and those in need. Amen. Amen.